Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. All right, welcome everyone to another session of Twitter Spaces by NFTLA at NFTLA Now Outer Edge and Howl Labs. My name is Daniel F. And along me, I have the pleasure of co-hosting today with two new guys to you. So we have Josh and we have Ivan. How are you guys doing today? What's up, guys? I am doing great. It is a nice, warm day in Venice, California. Hey guys, I can't complain too much. I've been a little under the weather, but I wasn't going to miss this space for anything. So yeah, it's good to be here. Let's go. Ivan, we need to use some AI to sort of fix your bug there that you got well, to improve your immunity over time. We'll work on it. It sounds good, but there are pretty interesting use cases for AI, which we're going to be discussing today. So yeah, I guess I'll let Danny kick it off. I don't have that many jokes under my sleeve today. But I'm powering through, guys. Thanks for everyone who's jumping in here and listening. Yeah, let's go. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce one of our guests today. So we have Rana Gushral from Behavioral Science. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And I have a sentiment of feeling under the weather. But apparently, I caught a bug after my long trip last week. But again, uh, wouldn't want to miss this fun conversation. So here I am and make the best of it. But Thanks for inviting me, and it's a real pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure for us to be joined by you today, so let's go. Yeah, there are a lot of bugs. I have had a lot of people I know telling me they're getting taken down summarily by something. But these days, you know what I mean? Who even knows at this point what's going around? I feel like at this point, it's not even Rona that I'm worried about. Yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. You're right. All right, Danny. So what do we got next? I mean, we can kick off right away, but the reality is like this has been such a huge buzzword already. Everyone's been hearing about AI. I, for one, will definitely say part of the space is us discussing how that's going to intermingle with blockchain. And there is a pretty broad range of how this falls into place between how we use tech and how we even market. So let's get to it. We're pretty excited. We have an exciting program of topics. I'm going to let Josh kick it off. Yeah. Well, guys, I'd love to sort of kick it over to each of our guests to start to just sort of introduce themselves a little bit and talk about how their world intersects with AI and Web3, just to create some context for the conversation today. Raina, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So at Behavioral Signals, we're essentially focusing on a very specific aspect of applied AI. We specialize in dialogue processing and building intelligent behavioral AI engines from dialogue processing and essentially focusing on acoustics of a conversation, which is how something is being said. So for example, in a dialogue, obviously, or a conversation, there is two elements. There's a spoken word or the content, and then there is everything else, which is the pitch and tonal variance, prosody, tonality, intonations, etc. And we are one of the original researchers around extracting intelligence from the tone of voice. And what we do extract can roughly be put in three buckets. First would be aspects of emotions like anger, happiness, sadness, etc. Then there'd be behaviors such as engagement, empathy, politeness. And then the third bucket is assortment and a collection of advanced classifiers that are built on raw level signals. And you're looking at macro level KPIs and indicators such as predicting who's under stress or duress or even control, predicting and identifying aspects of fraud or trustworthiness, et cetera. And the most interesting is predicting intent. So for example, predicting if the person involved in a dialogue with obviously the specific domain in mind will do what they're saying or will that action actually happen? For example, will the client buy or not buy or the debt holder pay or not pay, et cetera, et cetera. And you could build a lot of custom models on top of it. And so that's what we do. I mean, from commercialization focus, we take that technology and we apply it into a variety of human-to-human and human-to-machine interfaces. One of our core products is using this tech to create 
a conversational bioprint, which is essentially codifying how a person converses and use that to do intelligent matchmaking in a call center and impacting a lot of KPIs. So I can obviously go a lot deeper into all of these topics, but I'll stop there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's super helpful context, Rena. And like, when did your world first intersect with like Web3 and blockchain? And what was your sort of reaction at that time versus how has your perspective on how these two worlds intermix changed over time? Well, I think, I mean, various aspects of applied AI intersect into Web3 and there's implementations in Metaverse, et cetera, when you're building digital avatars, you're still trying to have a human experience. And the question is, how do you have a human experience in a digital space? And there's, there's various aspects that would limit you, and there's other aspects that would facilitate that interaction. And so especially it becomes interesting, like, so for example, as I said, I mean, when you're looking at emotions and behaviors, especially emotion, which is a very complicated science, it's multimodal. For example, humans express emotions in a variety of different ways, facial expressions, tone of voice, spoken word, body language, etc. But when you are in that digital space, a lot of those things are just gone. I mean, you're interacting from an avatar to avatar, so there's no facial expressions. I mean, there's no body language per se. And there's spoken word, and then there is the tone of voice. And the tone of voice plays a huge role. It's probably the most powerful indicator. So there's some interesting applications there. I mean, we've had a very specific commercial focus that we have uh, narrowed onto, but we make the technology available to a variety of other interesting people who are building other experiences. And I think those, that's where those intersects happen, more in an indirect manner rather than a direct manner. I don't want to cut off because I know the topic here is Web3, but I think there's some stuff you mentioned, which is a good point of understanding just like the broad strokes that AI can make. So you mentioned the power of simply recognizing something like the inflection of someone's voice and how that can predict certain behaviors. You mentioned the idea of how that might even like let you know, can a debt collector pay his bills? And obviously, as you said, if we move on to a metaverse space where we're using avatars, all we can still measure his voice. But I kind of want to touch on the plethora of ways this could go, right? I mean, if you're looking at, is someone going to pay the debt collector? Mm -hmm. There's some level to, is this person going to have a credit go delinquent on their account? Or even is this person realistically worthy of credit? So I'm a little interested in how you see that spinning out, right? And which verticals do you think people could take this tech, but obviously maybe bring it back to like what your particular like big mission or big picture mission is? Yeah, so one aspect of, Predicting intent is to understand two elements of an interaction. One is understanding the nature of the interaction. You can call it the domain or the context of the conversation or interaction. And the second is understanding the state of mind of the participants involved in the interaction. If you could check both of those off and have a good handle on both the state of mind, the cognitive state of mind of the folks interacting, and have a really good handle on the domain because you'd need a good handle on the domain to build a custom model because you'd have to build a custom model for each of those specific type of interactions. And uh, for example, when we're building these machine learning engines, there's a very specialized model for conversation that's happening between agent and a client in a call center. And it would be a very, very different model for a conversation that's happening between say a doctor and a patient. But once you build those models, because you build those models with the right amount of data and the right type of data, and then you have the ability to understand the state of mind, which is what our specialty is. And we do that by extracting these signals from dialogue processing, especially the tone of voice. Then you could do magical things. You could do amazing things such as predicting intent. And you could predict very specific, like, so for example, one of the early implementations that we did was a challenge from one of the clients and they gave us a task of predicting if a debt holder will pay or not pay. And they wanted us to make a binary prediction. So for example, not a percentage probability, but will pay or not pay, yes or no, as simple as that, and see how accurate we are. And so we built a custom model around that and we were able to do things which actually even surprised us. I mean, we were able to make a prediction in the first 20 seconds of an interaction. And as soon as that, we can make a prediction. And that prediction is typically anywhere from 82 to 85% accurate. And then you could take that model and you could build a variety of interesting other implementations on top of it or around it for other interesting use cases. I think in terms of Web3 and Metaverse, there's a whole wide variety of implementations that could come in, not necessarily in terms of intent prediction, but mostly in terms of 
introducing an element of empathy and also enabling some of these human-to-machine interactions be more human-like. And I think that's where the big promise is, where you're talking to these machine or machine-like counterparts, like, for example, voice assistants, et cetera, and you'd want to have more of a human-like conversation. And so if you look at the current NLP landscape, a lot of the basic things have been solved for. So the NLP and NLU part, which is understanding the language, processing it and speaking that language are all been solved for. I mean, your neighborhood voice assistant does that really well. But what it can't do is understand the state of mind or the meaning behind that conversation or meaning behind what someone's spoken and the intent and intention, et cetera. And you need that element to actually hold a conversation. And a conversation is an essential element of interaction, especially verbal and speech-related conversation. So you could now use some of these technologies to fill in those gaps and have really amazing interactions and conversations that are very human-like or human-to-human-like, even though you might not be speaking with a human, you might be speaking with a digital entity or it's a software system or a machine, et cetera. Yeah, this is super interesting. I don't want to press too much on this point because I know we have things on the agenda, but the one question I do want to ask you is, do you see a world in which this can trace itself back to how we develop a digital identity? Because this is obviously a hot topic, right? There is a capability, even us ourselves, the how labs have been looking into the idea of how do you use, and we're looking at a transacting level, right? Mm-hmm. How do I look at the blockchain? I look at transactions, activity on chain, and use that like a Merkle tree and start thinking, all right, at least financially speaking, these are these individuals' behavioral patterns, right? Can I consider this person credit worthy or worthy of, let's say, reduced collateral towards a loan to purchase something via their crypto, right, in a metaverse space? So I'm curious, like, is there a world in which this builds into that? Can we technically be using AI, measuring the individual's social behavior within a metaversal space to then in itself code that, let's say, sorry, not code that, but that could be program reflected in sample, a non-fungible token. And what would you think are the implications of that? I'm trying to even figure out how far out we are from that. My, my guess is not very yeah. No, we are already here. I mean, I don't want to say that we're close because we're here. <laughs> and a lot of these things are essential elements of digital twin from a lack of a better perspective. Because when you're creating digital twin, you're looking at what makes you human and what are the unique aspects of your humanness. And one big aspect of your humanness is your normal emotional behavioral state and how that plays into various interactions. And so what we're focusing on is the conversation aspects. And so what you've also realized is that there is actually a unique conversational bioprint, just like you have a fingerprint, which is unique for you. And there's obviously a retinal scan and other biomarkers. There is a unique way each of us converse and interact. For example, We express a whole wide variety of attributes ranging from how fast we speak to the amount of energy and emotions we exude to other aspects of politeness and engagement and empathy, etc. And when you understand those, you can create that bioprint. And then once you have that bioprint, you can make very intelligent decisions around who is your ideal conversational partner, etc. And those play a big role into stimulating and developing natural rapport and affinity Like, let me give you an example. For example, we've all been in situations where we're having an adversarial and a complicated and maybe even a tense conversation with someone. Let's say you try and negotiate something and you walk out of that conversation without really getting your objective. So you lose the agenda maybe and or you didn't really win the negotiation, but you feel good about the conversation. You'd say to yourself that I didn't get what I wanted, but boy, that was a great dialogue and I feel good about that conversation. So there's that one instance. And then there's another instance where maybe you meet somebody at a cocktail mixer. So it's very casual, non-controversial setup. And you're just having a basic chit-chat. And in 20 minutes, you're like, "Ah, boy, this is a torture. I just want to run away. So the question is, why does that happen? It's because either your natural styles are clicking and you're getting into a flow or you're colliding and you're unable to build any natural affinity or rapport. And that's independent of the agenda of the conversation. And so... Once you understand that and you have that, you could magically influence uh, future interactions. This would be a huge thing yes. in the digital space. Very exciting stuff. We have our additional guests have arrived. I saw Stanley. Stanley disappeared. Sorry for the technical glitches here, but we have Rio. Thanks so much for joining us, Rio. And an honor to have you. If you could just start 
by just introducing yourself and sort of how your world intersects with AI and Web3, just to give the audience a little bit of context. That would be great. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. What's up, everybody? My name is Rio. So I'm a visual artist, uh, music producer, and a DJ. I started out drawing and dancing and turned into making beats and then doing visuals, everything from like album covers, directing music videos, stage visuals for Kanye, Beyonce, Post Malone, and people like that. And right when the pandemic hit, all my tour visual jobs got canceled and I was in my house like everybody else. And then NFTs came about. And it was one of these things where I'd been working for other people for so many years, working with clients and making digital art, but it wasn't really considered art. You know, I was just a content creator. So NFTs came along and at the perfect time when I was ready to kind of take a chance on myself. And I started making a bunch of 3D art using Cinema 4D, Octane. And I like making digital art, but making 3D art was like kind of a headache because most of the time you're like putting out fires and this is going wrong or the VRAM is this or the, it crashes. And I'm used to making music where things kind of flow. It's like you kind of wake up out of a trance and you have this song sitting in front of you. And when I started to play around with AI, it was like, I think in 2021, it was like this play, this site called Snowpixel and you'd send something and it would take an hour to get something back. And it was usually just like not even anything great, but it was just still cool to kind of see it go. And then every like couple of months, I started seeing it getting better. And then Midjourney came. I've been using Midjourney for over a year. And I noticed that it was very similar to the way that music was, where it started to feel like I was finding my flow state, but visually. And I could just, it was thinking as fast as I was. And I'm a pretty good Photoshopper, so I was taking some things from like Midjourney version two and version three and then going in and repainting on top of it and kind of like finishing the thought, but I'm um, using it as sort of kind of a collaborator. And then as it got way better towards the end of last year, I started to really take it and use more of it in my work. And now I've gotten to the point where you go see on my Instagram, I've been posting a lot of fashion week candid photos so i've been really focusing on like ai photography in a way i've also been a photographer in real life but just the pressure of like trying to get the shot and like dealing with models or dealing with light and all these things it's like i could just be on my bed without having to worry about how much video cards i have and like that. so it's so dope, man. And we'll dive in deeper. Let's give Stanley a chance to introduce himself as well. I apologize uh, about that part. Oh, no worries. I mean, this is all so exciting. And all you guys have such illustrious backgrounds. We could talk to any of you. I just want to make sure that we cover the whole gambit here of, of what's going on. And Stanley's one of my favorite human beings. Stanley, it's great to see you up on stage. And I know we've had some fun conversations about AI and over coffee and, and on stages. I would love if you could sort of tell folks what you're up to in, in the world of science and AI just to kick things off. Absolutely, my friend. And thank you so much for having me here. And I'll tell you what I'm immediately up to is I just had a delicious cup of coffee by the beach here in Venice. And you'll have to join me soon. And yeah, I'm so happy to join this conversation. I can already Hell, it's going to be great. I felt your pain rustling with VRAM and Cinema 4D. I've been there before. And heck yeah, so excited to talk some AI. My name is uh, Stanley Bishop. I go by Science Stanley in the decentralized science world. I'm a machine learning scientist and a solutions architect for bioinformatics. I use machine learning to study DNA and um, do things with DNA and medicines. But I also am just a passionate supporter of artists. So I've operated an incubator in Venice Beach that tries to partner artists with technologists to build cool stuff. And then at this moment, it's all kind of AI happening. And it's just so fun seeing all these cool collaborations happening. So I'm just really happy to be here and really happy to join the conversation. Thanks so much. So I mean, we've got a stack panel and a lot of topics to get through. Do you want to kick us off with a question for this crew? Yeah, I think actually, because we've gotten the topic of artists, I actually think this is a really interesting discussion around the creation of art and its dissemination. And obviously, if we're looking at AI-generated art, we know that NFTs will only increase the velocity at which that type of art 
could be created, posted, minted, put out, right? I am by no means an expert as those in the crowd. So I'm going to bring up at least what I understand as when we're looking at AI generate art, right? AI is essentially curating multiple and hundreds of thousands of works of art based on prompts or whatever is being input by the person that wants to create this, right? So to an extent, the AI, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is learning from all of these different styles and all of the different artworks that other artists have created. So I don't know if anyone saw this, but just recently, I think this is back in January, there was a group of creatives and musicians that went and filed a lawsuit against two AI companies. And I can't remember both of them right now. I know that Midjourney was one of them. The other one might have been Stability AI. And I think this really kicks off an interesting topic because it's sort of like, how do we determine what is original? How do we determine what is not? And then how do we get into this very complicated field of IP loss, particularly when it's based around Web3 and it's crossover now with AI-generated art? So I, I'll kind of post that question up to everyone. Rio, maybe I'll let you go first because you were the first one to bring this up, but I'd love to hear all of the speakers and ideas on this. Yeah, I think credit is an interesting topic, right? Uh, the quickest thing I can think of to relate to this is fashion. As soon as something goes on the runway, it immediately trickles down and becomes a trend, right? And then it ends up going from the high street all the way down to Zara and H&M. But most times, we don't know who created the blazer or who made the top hat or who made parachute pants. It's like it becomes a part of the creative ethos. And I think that especially in music, too, like somebody makes something and it becomes a trend, and the next thing you know, everybody's doing it, and credit gets kind of lost in the sauce. I do think it's important for credit to be given, especially as an artist, like people have stolen from me, and I would like my credit. But I think that we're going to have to be very careful in how we determine who is deserving of it, because if we're all inspired by something and someone, then how far does that go? If there's a digital fingerprint that says, the AI looks at an image and says, oh, you typed in Rio to make this image. Do I get that? And then is there another royalty for who I'm inspired by? So I don't really have an answer. I've just been thinking a lot about this and how far it can go. I think that's very well said. I see Stanley jumping in, so go for it, man. Absolutely. And I was just going to mention, this is an area where on the legal front, we have developments and also on the engineering front. And it might be that down the road, we kind of rely on tools to help us understand this stuff. As a kind of fun example of that direction of development, one of the ingredients of many of these generative AI models is a system called Clip. And it is uh, kind of the part of the AI brain that connects images and texts and understands the connections between those two things. And it's actually an invertible architecture. So in the same way that you can create text and see an image, you can do the reverse, see an image and create text. And so it might be that in the future, we sort of reversed prompt images, and then that could end up being a part of how we figure out whose style is most present, who deserves the credit. There might be some math to help us out there. So, Ron, I definitely want to hear your ideas on this as well, but I will point to something. Both of you guys have mentioned this idea of where does credit go, and also where do you point, let's call the genesis of creation. And I think most of us would agree that all art is a response and a reaction to art that has preceded it. But art also has the historical property of being able to encapsulate the zeitgeist of a time in the moment in which it's created, right? So there's a historical component to it. Something to note is, and I think the question remains, it is one thing for me as an individual, right, through my own volitionary experience to interpret art, feel it, see the universal in it, decide to respond back to it. Now, what happens when AI does this, right? Put it this way. AI is able to process and study and curate a milieu of artworks that a human being cannot process in such a short span of time, right? So to me, I see two paths. One, as you mentioned, Stanley, there is a world in which we are actually using AI to improve, perhaps speed up, perhaps even expand the realm of creativity through which we can create art, right? In a sense, AI becomes curatorial for us. It can give us a canvas to work on which to work on. But I do believe, of course, that we also delve into the second part of this, which is what happens when we have AI-generated art that has value, that is beautiful, that is appreciated, but 
we know in a sense that all of that is accumulation of, or let's say the result of a set of heuristics to how it's being asked to interpret certain kinds of arts and then replicate something in that style. Is this original? Is this being created by the curator who put it together? Or is the AI the one that has the credits to it? So I'll pause there. Uh, Ran, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then maybe, you know, everyone can just kind of jump in. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I mean, we have to start with trying to answer a question, what is art, right? And we can all agree it can be many things to many people. It is definitely subjective. And no two people agree. And to that extent, even need to agree on if a specific thing is art or not art. But many of us, certainly not all, will concede that AI-generated images can be considered a form of art in many cases. But the real question and the more contentious question in cases like this is who is the artist or author? The human, the AI, or both? And what roles and to what extent? And there's sort of like the underlying question around credit that comes to play. But I guess I don't want to say that I have the answers. I think we're trying to sort of figure this out. There are technical complexities around even making that happen. This whole thing has evolved faster than building in the plumbings to actually make this even possible or make attribution possible. But the term prompt-based is definitely worth unpacking a bit. I mean, the AI art is a collaborative process and the human and the machine inputs are weaved together to create the product. Like, for example, if you look at MidJourney, user can type a string of words and receive visual outputs in a grid approximating the original idea. And then you can continue to, as a user, you can continue to iterate on those outputs, nudging them in a particular direction, concept, uh, refine it, alter it, co-create it. You can go on and on. And so the language is the power to express ideas and concepts is potentially limitless. And you can create a number of generative outputs of these programs. It's infinity, I think before a user can even decide where do we actually start from. And I think because it's so complex and it's also opaque, I mean, we don't know the models behind some of these implementations or DALI or Midjourney. I mean, they have not made it public. There's a lot of misconceptions that arise from that. So that's why sort of we, sometimes we feel that people say that uh, these programs are just smashing existing artwork together to form something new. And it's, as, it's not as simple as that, obviously. And there's a lot of other complexity that goes behind the scene in making what we see actually possible. So I'll stop there. I mean, attribution is going to be a challenging thing to do. I think we have to figure this out, but don't really see easy solutions for that at this point. Love that answer. And you know what? I'm realizing that, of course, we're always on limited time and there's a few other topics we want to cover. Yeah. So, Josh, if you'd like, I could just kind of open up the floor to some of these things we discussed on DeFi, NFTs, crossover, and everything else. Sure. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or, have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued, or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them, and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. So let's talk DeFi and NFTs, right? I think that if there's something else we can agree on is that the intersection of those two different niches is something that we're already seeing is going to continue to grow. And inherently, there's going to be a lot of questions we'll have about data modeling. How do we use the information that we're accruing from wallets? How do we use an individual's behavior between their NFT purchases and also how they leverage the value with behind these NFTs. We've seen Blurred make strides there. We've seen plenty of applications come up of the idea of potentially collateralizing an NFT, right? Taking that value against the loan. So I would love it if we can kind of jump into, and maybe you guys can give us your ideas on how can we imbue AI 
into the way that we're modeling data and using the data that we're seeing for individual users within the DeFi and NFT world. All right. Anyone want to jump in? Reina? I'll just say that to understand how NFTs can be enabled with today's technology, we should first, I mean, need to understand that AI disciplines already have intersection points with the current generation of NFTs, right? So the digital representations of NFTs relies on various building blocks like digital formats, such as images, video, text, and all of these representations map into different sub-AI disciplines. So various aspects of implementations around computer vision, NFTs today are mostly about images and videos, and they're perfect fit to leverage the advancements in computer vision and the various techniques such as CNN and GAN, generative with virtual neural networks, and transformers have pushed the boundaries of computer vision, image generation, object recognition, and all of these can be applied into the next wave of NFT technologies. I'm not an expert in NFT, by the way, but I can see those applications come in. And then there's obviously the natural language understanding, the stuff that we were talking about earlier. Language is a fundamental form to express cognition, and that includes forms of ownership. And NLU is an aspect of that. So the idea of superimposing or superposing language understanding to existing forms of NFT to enrich the interactivity and user experience in NFTs, I think that's an area we're probably going to get into soon. I see some of those implementations happening. And related to that, speech recognition is another aspect of deep learning can have a very big impact on NFTs. You could use speech intelligence and capabilities such as speech recognition or tone analysis, stuff what we do to power interesting forms of NFT, audio NFTs, that could be a perfect scenario for speech intelligence methods, which which is the next stop, I think. So there's a lot of different implementations. I mean, we can go on and on, but certainly AI is powering a lot of the sub-disciplines that this NFT landscape is built on. How about you, Rio? Honestly, DeFi is not my world, so I wouldn't really know how to comment on Person. Totally. Ria, have you kind of looked at the AI applications outside of the entertainment industry at all? Like which ones? Like healthcare or supply chain, that type of stuff? I haven't. I'm actually just on the music, the writing, and the art side, strictly creative. Well, let's cover that topic a little bit more. Appreciated learning a little bit more about that side of things for you. Where do you see AI going next in terms of music in particular? And what are you concerned about and what are you excited about? On one hand, I've been making music for a long time and kind of got in when you had to have like a piece of equipment, like an MPC, $2,000 piece of equipment. And to make it, it had a high barrier of entry and also a steep learning curve. And then right after I got one of those and learned how to use it, I started seeing things like Fruity Loops and Pro Tools. And so people could download the software and use it, and they didn't have to buy that piece of equipment. And then now it's funny to see people now have Splice and like people making loops and stuff that they can just use and plug and play. And then here comes AI, where you won't even have to have a musical background at all. And you could just type in Drake and the Beatles, make an album about cake. And it's like, it's scary to think that everyone will have this power in all the years that I've spent learning how to do this. But at the same time, seeing from the art side, I haven't been intimidated because I think I trust my eye and my ear to curate things. And so I'm excited to play with these new tools and what someone like me with the musical background can do. And one last thing, I think that what somebody said earlier What happens when the AI listens to my Spotify likes in my playlist and says, all right, Rio, you like these type of songs with these kind of chord progressions, this kind of tempo. What if I made you a song that's based on all of your likes and then it makes me something that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard? Like, I'm really interested in what happens then, because at the end of the day, we're not in charge of like whether we know if it's AI or not. When we hear it, we get the dopamine hit, and then we find out it it wasn't real or it wasn't made by a human. And I think that's going to be a really interesting point. Yeah, I mean, this is a broader conversation that we had with Shelly Palmer on the show recently, and it just seems to come up over dinner and drinks all the time. Does it matter if a piece of art is created by human or AI in terms of the perceived value of it to humanity? I don't think so. I think once we like it, that's it. 
And does that devalue human creativity or does that become opportunity to enhance human creativity using AI? Yeah, I think so. I think we're a nostalgic culture, right? Like now that we can, everyone can take pictures with their phone, people still do film photography. People still buy vinyl. People still go the long way. The art of, the practice of learning and taking that time, I think it's just going to make it more special if you actually paint for real. I would hope so. So I'm going to move us away from this a little bit because I know we've already spent a good amount of time on like AI art versus value, et cetera, as humans use it. I kind of want to bring up this idea of we've heard a lot about how we can do some certain level of social listening, right? We talked about how art could potentially respond to our emotions. So as we've all seen, dynamic NFTs have been also a big point of discussion. We're looking at ways in which an NFT can evolve, change over time. You could have something as simple as, let's say I create an AI-generated version of myself now, and over time I have that adjust or view myself as aging, right? It's almost like I get a Dorian Gray painting of NFTs for myself. So I think there might be an interesting topic to consider. How can we intermingle AI and, let's say, dynamic NFTs to create art that evolves over time, that changes to perhaps our moods, our tone of voice, our inflections? or even the changing pattern in our artistic interests, right? So I'll let you guys jump on. I think that could be something really cool to explore. I'm certainly interested in what you guys have to say. Go for it, Stanley. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's like you thought up the question I wanted to answer. And one of the things that's really interesting is the role that reinforcement learning plays. GPT, for example, been around for a while. Chat GPT became very exciting when reinforcement learning was implemented. So when GPT was given the ability to interact with you, to learn from the conversation. And I think that that reinforcement learning layer is going to be so powerful for art. I mean, we just think about its primitive form in organic neural networks through the Nielsen rating system, right? We had a system where every season we looked at the numbers and based on that, we moved our culture in a different direction. We're going to be able to do that in artificial brains, I think, for sure. And the blockchain will be the cultural ledger, right? When you publish an NFT, be it a movie or a picture or a song, there's a record on the blockchain of who used it, how popular it was. And that's something we can feed into further models. So especially, too, when you consider mid-journey, which to my mind has really distinguished itself for good model engineering. I think what they're doing that's special is really taking feedback, aesthetic feedback from their artists and integrating it into their engineering process. And so I absolutely think this is going to be a huge part of the intersection between crypto NFTs and AI for sure. Love that, dude. Thank you for that response. Absolutely on the money, right? There is something to say about how we're going to be interacting with this. And maybe let me know if you have some ideas on this, particularly I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how we can use software like the one you're building to create this sort of evolving art via dynamic NFTs? I mean, to be honest, we haven't really explored much. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities of applying dynamic NFTs in a whole wide variety of uh, sub-industries and gaming, sports, um, art, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of different interesting applications come to mind. We're sort of yet to explore. I mean, it's an interesting topic. I can't say that I'm very knowledgeable about some of the opportunities there to let others speak. I think that I've been, what we're learning from this conversation is we have these three very impressive gentlemen using AI in so many different ways. And there's so many ways to use it that you could have a panel of, of 50 folks up here doing different things with AI and having different perspectives. And, and that's why this is such an important topic for us. And because these guys have such great backgrounds, I would love to at least give the audience a chance to ask a few questions, Danny, if that's okay with you. If there's anyone raising their hands that would like to ask a question about any of these aspects of AI from building with it, using in music and art to science, I'm happy to have a few questions from the audience. Looks like we got some folks coming up on board. What's up, guys? How's everyone doing today? I'm good. I'm just listening. What I've heard solutions to a lot of the world problems with AI, with Web3, with the recession, with trillion dollars of debt, the economy, inflation, all these things. So I have a solution. All right. 
what is your solution and what is your question? Or were you just kind of sharing your thoughts? So I created a poll and the premise is that we, the people of the world, can make a difference, right? So if it's a bear market, if it's AI, as the consumer, 99% of the world is what matters, right? Yep, I got to say, I agree here. And actually, you know what? On that thought of what consumers and how individuals can impact, let's see if we can get someone else from the crowd that might have particular ideas or a question for the speakers about how we can use consumer data or even what we know of how individual information is processed. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as whether scale model of yacht or actual yacht. I'm actually curious, Stanley, Rio, Rana, do you guys have any questions for each other just based on sort of what you guys are working on and how the rest of you are sort of doing different things in the industry or curiosities? Oh, forgive me for jumping right in, but I caught the first part of the digital twin conversation. I was so blown away. I shared a link to a project that I'm working on to build digital twins for community leaders to use as a tool in growing their communities. And I was a little curious if people had any opinions on the role of community in training good AI models. And I'm kind of thinking along the lines of that old saying that you are the hundred people you know best. Rio, Reina, have you guys explored using crowdsourcing to train AI? I haven't. I haven't got there yet. Well, I think the data is the essential core element of training AI, and it's also the biggest challenge, right? So getting high-quality data, unbiased data, yeah, it's easier said than done. It's a hugely complex task. And a lot of what we're looking at right now, including the models that you've seen from the generative AI, it's sort of crowdsourcing, and it's sort of really built on community data. I mean, both public and non-public data and the stuff that is copyrighted, et cetera. But to get really amazing results, I mean, you kind of need that depth and breadth. And certainly, I mean, a lot of what we do in building specific emotional and behavioral AI models and the use cases that lean into more sort of like the natural interactions, not necessarily just business interactions, but the day-to-day interactions, you kind of have to sort of tap into various sort of uh, community input, both from various design approaches of modeling, and but also just data. So the way we do it is by, it's still sort of like, you know, it's not like just a free-for-all. I mean, we do it by sort of selectively and curatively engaging various cohorts and academic institutions or partnering with them, yet making our technology available to them for free so that they can use it to build other interesting implementations on top of it. And they're thinking of ideas that we haven't even thought about. I mean, they're coming up with new implementations that are surprising to us. 
and they're applying it to very unique data sets that they've curated for those implementations. And the models learn from that and become smarter and just like a human would be if it's exposed to a variety of different learning modes and data sets. And it gets better at the core thing that it needs to do, whether that's sort of like, you know, pinpointing an emotional or behavioral instance or a marker at a given instance of time. So it's a big aspect of what we try to do, but it's extremely hard and it's a constant battle. I wanted to ask a question. So seeing as how, like, at least on my end, every two, three months, AI seems to like double itself or get twice as good or twice as fast. And if it continues at this rate, by the end of this year, things will be pretty crazy. But where do you guys see this being in like five years? Like once we get past the creative stuff and even mentioning like some of the healthcare things or I was hearing talks about something about like Web5 being like mental health. So imagine an AI being able to notice that you're still depressed about your mother passing and what it would tell you or what kind of advice it would get you, almost like a therapist or something like that. Like, do you guys see it moving into stuff like that? Or like, where do you see it? I would go off on a limb and say, I think that's the most commonly debated question out there in the AI community. It's like where we're headed, where we're going to get to, and do we have the right tools for it, et cetera, et cetera. I'll also tell you that the stuff that I'm exposed to on a day-to-day basis continue to surprise me. And it continues to also sort of underscore the fact that there's a lot more progress than that would we actually see or have access to. And the folks that I interact with and folks that are doing amazing, amazing work towards building various implementations of AGI are all very much at the mindset that we are going to get to sentient AI very soon. I think there's obviously a whole spread of opinions in terms of when that is going to happen. Is it 15 years away, 20 years away, 50 years away, or five years away. But I would think that it's sooner rather than later. And it's uncharted territories from there on. We get to that point of singularity and this rapid inflection in terms of growth and achievement of AGI. Amazing things going to happen, but I also think we don't really know what's going to happen at that point. Forgive me if I jump right in. I think that the point that we don't know and shouldn't expect to be able to know is important to underline. I myself kind of really decided to go into artificial intelligence science when I read a book called The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil. And that book is wonderful. And anyone whose mind has been boggled by everything happening, I think, should go check out that book. And it kind of posits that if technology really does get to a place where it becomes self-accelerating, where the faster technology develops, the faster technology develops, the faster technology develops, like we could wind up in a very different place than we can even imagine. So everyone check out that book. And then there is one thing from the book that I think is kind of fun. And there's a saying that AI is electricity. Ah, This might've actually been Andrew Young now that I remember. But yeah, so like when trying to understand this transformation, we might only have really one other thing to compare it to, which is electricity. Because next time you go through your day, Think of how many things you do completely differently because we have electricity to help us. And this ability to deploy very specific intelligences to support different tasks, that might be just as radical a change, maybe more so. Yeah, for sure. Very interesting question and definitely one that's been on my mind as well. Danny, do we have any other questions from the audience? Not right now. We don't have any requests coming up. For anyone in the audience, if you want to request and ask a question to this panel, just tap on the bottom left corner of your screen. There's a mic button on it. You can just tap on it and we'll bring you up to stage. However, on that little lull, perhaps we have dazzled everyone so much there's no questions left here besides going and reading more to explore this world. I'd say, you know, if any of the speakers have any closing statements. We can drop them in and thank everyone for having jumped on. Just want to say thank you guys for inviting me up. This has been a great conversation and I already learned a lot of stuff already too. So appreciate it. Thanks for for joining us. And I'm excited to follow what you're doing in this space. I think it's really pioneering. Sorry, Rana, you were going to say? No, I was going to just say, echoing that sentiment, thank you for having us and thank you for having me. And it's a great conversation. Stanley, any parting words, my friend? Oh, just thank you guys so much for having me. This was great. Cool. Well, look forward to seeing you at Outer Edge LA. It's like 
almost tomorrow, March 20th to the 23rd. Stanley's on a really fascinating panel discussing the intersection of science and Web3. So that's one I'm going to be checking out for sure. All right, everyone. Well, to everyone that did join and joins weekly, bi-weekly with us, really appreciate having you guys in this audience. And until the next, Danny, is there anything that missed? Otherwise, you can continue on your own sign-off. All right, sounds like everything's okay. Everyone. Oh, uh, I, was, I was talking to myself here. <laughs> it happens a lot. All right. So, yeah, we actually do have some announcements to make. Uh, NFT, I mean, the main event, Outer Edge, in March, is also running a hackathon. And I wanted to read the announcement myself, but I just realized we're just so tech heavy on this first space that why don't we get an AI to read it, right? So here's how an AI will read Outer Edge announcements of a hackathon. Hey guys, here's a reminder that we're doing a hackathon this year as part of Outer Edge LA. It's happening Saturday and Sunday, March 18th minus 19, the weekend before the big event. It's going to be the dopest hackathon you've ever hacked. Application only. And if you are accepted, actually attend, and submit a project entry for judging, then you are guaranteed a free GA ticket to the event. That's a $299 value right now. And the price is gonna go up, and up, from here. Make sure to apply now before it's filled up. The Outer Edge LA Hackathon is where anyone and everyone worth anything will build the next big thing. You'll have a chance to win $10,000 plus dollars in prizes and other awesome perks. Join a community of coders, entrepreneurs, scientists, designers, storytellers, makers, builders, artists, and technologists in co-creating the future of Web3. That's right. It's for more than just programmers. Anyone with the skill to create collaboratively is welcome. Anyone can apply regardless of attendance to Outer Edge LA or Hackathon experience. We will be selecting participants based on the application they submit to ensure everyone has an excellent community experience. It's happening Saturday and Sunday, March 18th, minus 19, the weekend before the Outer Edge main event. Visit Hackathon, Outer Edge, live to apply. That's Hackathon, Outer Edge, live. Damn, we should work on her bedside manners, but still, <laughs> interesting way to sign off, guys. Love it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Remember, these two spaces happen bi-weekly, and they overlap with our own very... Twitter spaces from HAL Labs, uh, the HAL, which is happening also next week. So we'll keep an eye out. Uh, remember to turn your notifications on for Outer Edge account, for Ad Try HAL account, and for Edge of NFT account so that you don't miss any upcoming Twitter space. Other than that, that'll be it. Thank you so much for joining and uh, see you on another edition. Have a good night, everyone. Have a good one. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the Edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.